Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Man, isn't God good? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Oh man, I could tell you this, like every dad, I'm going to be so surprised tomorrow at what my kids get for Christmas. I could tell you. <laughs> I think I picked out one gift and then they just kept multiplying. I'm like, wow, where are these coming from? No, it's such a beautiful thing. We have our own, every, every family has their own traditions and different things that they do to celebrate Christmas. One of the things we like to do is on Christmas Eve, we, we get our hot chocolate and um, we, uh, we read the Christmas story out of Luke and we just meditate on it and then um, the kids open a gift and I, I just, I love it. I, I, love, I love every part of this season. I'm like, I'm that guy that wants to set up Christmas decorations in October like I, I, I just I love it so much. I love Christmas. I, I, I'm that guy also that will listen to Christmas music well into like February, because um, did you guys hear the rich theology in Hark? Like, like we, you know, I was telling I was telling Phil this morning. Uh, so often we skip verses. You know, like if you guys ever notice that you'll do like in 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 hymns you'll do like one, three, and four, or one, two, and four. Like, and like, man, if you ever sing a whole song, you're like, oh, wow, that explains so much more. But there's so much rich, rich theology, and uh, we just, I, just, I just love it. I love every part of the season. With that said, we are in the middle of a series called Manger King, and we're going to be wrapping it up today. And um, we're going to be launching into a new series at the beginning of the year, and we're going to be looking at taking the land next year. And... But this season, in this series, we have been looking and kind of trying to take a different take on Christmas. Because if you've been in church more than once on Christmas, what you've heard is the traditional Christmas stories um, about the birth of Jesus and everything like that. And I love that. I would never downplay that. Um, this is the first year we really haven't focused so much on the manger, but we focused on King Jesus because at the end of the day, the reason why Jesus stepped into humanity the first time was so he could step into humanity the second time and reconcile all of creation to himself. And today we're going to look at what eternity is going to look like. So we've, we've talked about the rapture. We've talked about the millennial reign of Christ and the final judgment. We've talked about the tribulation. And now we're going to talk about after all that, after Satan is completely thrown into the lake of fire, um, there's nothing left. The earth is burned up. Um, he, like, when God rebuilds, like, um, he rebuilds. He, he took and he completely burned this earth down to its bare bones. And then, and then he recreates Eden. His heart has always been to walk amongst his people. His heart has always been to be with his people. In fact, the Old Testament, that's why he wanted the tabernacle in the middle of the camp. He said, I will be their God and they will be my people and I will dwell among them. And then Jesus stepped into humanity through the incarnation at his birth and he literally dwelt among us. And then at the end of time, after after the rapture, after the tribulation, after the millennial reign, after the final judgment, when all of it's said and done, he burns this, build, the, the, this place up. There's going to be nothing of the old world left behind, and he recreates Eden to restore it to what the enemy robbed from humanity, which is communion with God. And then he sets his throne, the city of New Jerusalem, down. And it's, it's big. We're going to read it today. It's over a thousand miles wide, a thousand miles long, a thousand miles high. It's huge. And his throne's in the middle of it. And he gets to be our God. He gets to dwell among, and we, and we the righteous, the people who are born again, get to come and go, get to drink from the river of life. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And we're going to look at that 
today. So we're going to actually read, we're actually going to read the rest of the Bible today. Um, the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. And um, with that said, before we, before we get into all this, I want to tell you a joke. Um, since we're talking about heaven, I want to tell you uh, a, a joke about heaven. And so these three, these three amazing Christian women were driving back from a, a women's conference. And you know that, like, you know, it's going, have you guys ever noticed, like, women's conferences? Like, all the church has to mention is a women's conference, and every woman signs up within, like, five seconds, and it's packed out. But a men's conference, man, they, like, sell tickets until the day of, and they're still trying to get it. Like, men and women are so different. Like, it's, it's so interesting. Now, if they shot guns at men's conferences, I almost guarantee you they would be packed. Um, if we were doing things that were stupid and dangerous, that thing would be packed. But um, evidently, stadiums don't let you do stuff like that. Um, but these, these women were driving back from a women's conference, and on the way back, they, uh, they, got, they got hit by another car, and they all died. And they got up to the pearly gates, and St. Peter let them in, and they said, but listen, listen, I just want you to know, I want you to know that you're free to go everywhere in heaven but, and they were confused. They didn't, they didn't know this was a thing in heaven. But he said, but don't stop. Don't, don't step on the ducks. Like, there, there are consequences if you step on the ducks. And they get into heaven, and there's ducks everywhere. There's like, and they're like, so the first person, the fir first of these three friends, she steps on a duck within like four hours. And... Jesus shows up and is like, hey, that was our one rule up here. Don't step on a duck. And so for the rest of eternity, you have to be tied to this guy over here. And, and the other two ladies, they saw, and it was just the, just the absolute ugliest guy they've ever seen. He was just horridly ugly. And she had to be connected to him the, the rest of eternity and so the next lady, she actually made it like a whole week, and she didn't step on a duck, and then she stepped on a duck, and then the Lord showed up with another very homely gentleman, and he was worse than the other one. And, and there, she, for the rest of eternity, got all the benefits of heaven, but it just tied together. And so the last lady's like, wow, and like she took and made it like five years, never stepped on a duck. She kept going and she was so intentional and everything. And all of a sudden the Lord showed up after five years of being in heaven and had the most gorgeous man she's ever seen. Just absolutely stunning, muscular, handsome. Amy knows. Um, and just, I'm joking. And, and, um, She's like, wow, why am I getting so blessed? So, you know, the Lord's like, hey, you're going to have to be um, stuck with him for eternity. And she's like, well, I'm the most blessed lady up here. Amy knows. Um, and so, um, so after a couple of days, she's like, hey, like, how did I, she's talking to him. She's like, how did I get so blessed to be stuck with you for all of eternity? And he goes, oh, I don't know what you did, but I stepped on a duck. <laughs> Oh, come on. It's so dumb. <laughs> oh, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. So dumb. So dumb. Lord. We're, we're going to jump into Revelation 21, and we're just going to start in um, the John the Revelator the Apostle John, he's writing this book, and he's just literally recording what he's seen. Like, the Lord gave him a vision of what's about to happen, and this is what he, he jumps in in verse 1. He says, Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth. For the old heaven and old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. 
God himself will be with him. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Let's just stop right there and say amen. 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 Some of us are having pain right now. Some of us live with pain. And, you know, the Lord's been faithful and we prayed. But one day, it will go away. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And and then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I give freely. I've lost my spot. To all who are thirsty, I give freely. From the springs of the water of life, all who are victorious will inherit these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. It's so interesting. This is so beautiful because in this, this is God's heart, but it says all who are victorious. The, the, these are the people who remain faithful to the end. They don't play church. They don't go through the motions of relationship. They are through and through born again followers of Jesus. Every aspect of their life is about him. It's not pretend for them. It's not turn it on and turn it off. This is people who endure to the end through, through um, ridicule. There, there, there is oppression coming to the church. It's already started. And when it gets real, what, what, what oppression and persecution does for the church, it actually shows who are truly born again. Because some people will get under oppression. This, this is even in the early church. There are people who serve God faithfully, but when push comes to shove, when lives started getting threatened or, or hard persecution came, they just said, oh, I'm going to bow out. But the Bible says, all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. God gives us a picture of what's to come, and he's saying, endure. Endure to the end. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, and those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. That's verse 8 if you want to reference it to, to, to check your life. What's going on here? Am I a coward? Oh, gosh, cowards are going to go to hell? what the Bible says, but I think to to give you reference, it's people who don't share their faith boldly. What will they say? What will they do? How will they act? If they find out I'm a Christian, will they treat me different? Like it, It seems like you're loving yourself more than you're loving the command of Christ. And that's cowardly. The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes upon us to be bold. So Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven plagues came to me and said, Come with me. I will show you the bride and the the wife of the Lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and it sparkled like precious stone, the jasper as clear as crystal. The city wall was uh, was broad and high, with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels, and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, um, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and one of them were written with the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. When he measured it, he found it was a square as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were 1,400 miles. It's pretty big. Then he measured the walls and found that they were 216 feet thick, according to human standard used by the angel. 
The wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on the foundation stones and laid with the twelve precious stones. The first was jasper, the second was sapphire, the third was agate. I actually don't know how to say that one. Agate, I think, somewhere in there. The fourth emerald, the fifth, um, gosh, onyx. Thank you. I almost said ox. I'm like, that is not right. (laughs) The sixth, carnelian. The seventh, chrysolite. And the eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth. These these are as bad as biblical words. Cry, that one. And the eleventh, jasmine. And the twelfth. That one. You guys study stones in here? Like, that's amazing. I even listened to it this week, and I'm like, I'm still going to mess these words up. I, I promise you. Um, the 12 gates were made of um, pearls, each gate from a single pearl. The main street was pure gold, clear as glass. I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city. The Lamb is its light, and the, the nations will walk in its light, the, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. No, nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. How do you get your name in the Lamb's book of life? That's the question. You make Jesus Lord of your life, and he writes it right in. You, that, that's, like, that's like the book of genealogy. It's like, hey, you're part of the family if your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. Then we're going to jump to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. Um, It says, Then the angel showed me a river with water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. Each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine and to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or the sun, For the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Then the angel said to me, Everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. Verse 7. This is Jesus speaking. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of this prophecy written in this book. If Jesus said he was coming soon, 2,000 years ago, we're a lot closer than they were. I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers, the prophets, as well as All who obey what is written in this book, worship only God. Then he instructed me, do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. This is Jesus again bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit of the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, and the idol worshipers, all who love to live a lie. I, Jesus, 
have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir of his throne. I am the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. This is him saying, this is our cry. The church, which is the bride, and the Holy Spirit, who is at work in the world right now, drawing people to Jesus. We should be crying, come, Lord Jesus, come. The Spirit is saying that. Let's come into agreement with the Holy Spirit. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink to drink freely from the water of life, I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. Go back and read them. They're pretty rough. If anyone removes any words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. He who is faith, who is a faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. And that is the end of the book. Guess what? We win. Whatever you're going through, we win. Whatever temporary struggle, we win. God's victorious. It's temporary. But with eternity in mind and thinking through all of what we just read, what is our responsibility right now? What can we do right now to prepare our hearts for eternity? That's the question. The Bible tells us to fix our thoughts on eternity, to walk by faith, not by sight. It gives all sorts of instructions regarding eternity. But what is something applicable? Reading Jesus' kingdom, his, his throne descending. It's not just his throne. He, he has a whole city built around his throne for his people. It's beautiful. And all this is for us. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. This whole time he's been building this city to give it to us so what how, how do we prepare for eternity obviously the sunday school answer and the the first and proper answer i want to give you it's not one of my points it's the obvious answer make jesus lord of your life you want to prepare for eternity you have to make jesus lord of your life you ask him to come into your life and forgive your sins and then you actually start living your life according to him and not according to you. Because if you come and say a prayer and nothing changes in your life, you're not born again. When you meet the God of the universe, it changes you. You want to do the things that honor him. Because you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. When you truly give your life to Jesus, you become new. That's just the brass tacks of it. And he changes you. But once you're born again, there are, there are a couple things I think that we can do now that will help us yearn for eternity more and will prepare us for eternity once you're born again. And those are the th three things. This is not an exhaustive list either. This is not the only three things. I think that these are very practical though. I'm you guys know that I am a tactical and practical type of person. I like I, to the to a default, man. I have a hard time buying people just thoughtful gifts because I'm like, well, if it just sits on a shelf, what's the point? Like, I want to, like, I want to get gifts that are practical. I want to give you guys a gift that's practical. I want to give I want to give you three things to put in your tool belt today that are that will help us prepare for eternity, and. Um, so the first thought, the first practical way to prepare for eternity is learn to love to worship. Not just learn to worship. Learn to love to worship. We, the church, need to learn 
to love, to worship. You guys are a worshiping church. I never want to downplay that. So this is not directed at anyone but Phil. So I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, I, I, I just, I want, I, but I want our heart to, to, to yearn to love, not, not just to worship God, but, but to, to love it. It's, it's just not something we do. And, and so um, this, this is part of who we are. And, and I, I, want, I, want to, I want to give a couple things in here. So first, don't let this world be more bold of the worship of the devil than we are of our worship of God Almighty. The world is very bold right now. Like, like it's not, it might not be out, outright Satanism or devil worship, but at the end of the day, they'll show up at a concert that has nothing to do with God, and their hands will be raised, they'll be crying, they'll be weeping, and they're singing you know, whatever, Ozzy Osbourne concert. I, and, and I'm just saying, like, they're so loud. They're singing along. And, and, and so don't let the world be more bold about their worship of, of, of the kingdom of darkness than we are about the kingdom of God and our Savior and our Lord and our God. Don't let this world be louder for the enemy than we are for Jesus. We, we the church, like, they can get up and declare things on... They're, they can get up and declare things and just protest and have women's rights movements and abortion stuff and gay pride parades and all that stuff. And, and we will sit back and we'll pray for them. And I'm not saying we pick it against them. By no means, that doesn't lead anyone to the Lord. And I don't want people to know what we're against. I, I want people to know who we're for, but let our worship be so loud for the king. Don't let the world be louder for their king than we are for the king of all kings. Learn to love to worship. Don't let the world express more worship than we do for Jesus. And get this, get this. I, I, I know that some of your minds are thinking, maybe not, I, I don't want to assume anything, but I think some of, some of us might be thinking, because I thought this when I wrote this, what about John chapter 4, where Jesus says, God is looking for true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. Well, Jesus said that, so it's true. He is. But I know this. When you worship in spirit and truth, that means it's in your heart. Right? Yeah. Like, if, if you're worshiping in spirit and truth, that means it's flowing out of your heart. Well, what, is, what else does Jesus say about the heart? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth. When you have worship in your heart and you love to worship, your mouth will declare it. There is something, some of us, and I'm not, I'm not saying this, you guys actually do, but like there, there are people in the church, and I met people in, in the church. When I say the church, I'm talking the whole big C church. But they won't sing a song to save their life. They're like, well, it's not my gifting. It's not, well, well, I don't like the genre. Like, I, I, like, I like hymns. I like this. I like that. And I, I don't have a good voice. And when, the more excuses you make for not participating in corporate worship in a song service, kids, get this. I know worship is, is everything we do. Our life is worship before the Lord. He's looking for worship who, who worships in spirit and in truth. But when we worship in spirit and in truth, that's coming from our heart and it will manifest out of our mouth. That, and and you, you'll, you'll meet people that you know that they just worship God. They might not ever sing like a song out loud in the shower or anything like that. But man, they'll just walk through life just saying, oh, thank you, Jesus. So just, oh man, God, you're so And you just hear them mumbling stuff under their breath and they're just worshiping the Lord. And, but there are people that just refuse to allow that to come out of their mouth. And then you, you, you got to wonder, because then they make all these excuses why they can't. Well, I don't have a good voice. I don't like the music. I don't like this. I don't like that. Oh, you know, sometimes they use an electric guitar. Sometimes they have drums. Sometimes, and like every excuse you make, I'm, I'm just going to be real with you because I love you. You're turning worship about you. Instead about who it's about. Because get this, as amazing as our worship team is and as talented as they are and as gifted as they are, they're not up here to show off 
their gifts and their talents. They're not. They're here to facilitate opportunities for what's in our heart to flow out of our mouth. And they're here to lead us, to help us, what's in our heart flow out of our mouth. Phil is one of the most talented people I've ever met. He can do everything. But I promise you, if one of you ever thought that he was putting on a show up here, he would never touch a keyboard again. He's using his gifts to facilitate a moment for us to declare worship to the king of all kings. And the same is true with every person that gets up on the stage because worship is about him. And we got to learn to love to worship because if you don't like to love to worship, you're really going to hate eternity. You're going to hate it because that's what eternity is going to be. Day in and day out, we're going to be waking up declaring the goodness of God. We're going to be going, well, I don't even know if we sleep, but we're going to be ending the day declaring the goodness of God. And we're going to be eating declaring the goodness of God. We're going to be fellowshipping declaring the goodness of God. It's all going to be worship. And so right now what we can do on this side of eternity is get worship in our heart so it flows out of us. Whether it's, you know, we're, we're working a job, well, let's worship with our action. Whether it's going through life, let's worship with our mouth because what's in our heart will flow out. So we got to learn to love to worship. And if you make excuses why you can't, you're making worship about you. And you're actually not worshiping God, you're worshiping yourself. And that's called idolatry. And I'm pretty sure Jesus just listed out in verse 8, idol worship doesn't get to enter the kingdom. Don't make worship about you. Learn to love to worship Jesus. It's something we can do right now. And I'm not saying you stand up and get up and shout, you know. Start just by singing. Maybe you're, maybe you're here and you're like, I, I don't really like to sing. Well, just start. Like, I'm going to give you a phrase. Fake it till you make it. If you don't, if, you, if you're like, oh, it's just so awkward for me. It's, it's, not, it's none of that. Like, I like the music. I like all that. But it's just awkward. I, I, I'm afraid that I have, I have a really bad voice, and I, I don't want people to hear it. Fake it till you make it. That's a beautiful thing. You know, like, we put words on the screen to facilitate a moment because it's to get participation because we want us to declare the goodness of God corporately. And I'm telling you, when you start declaring the goodness of God in your day-to-day life and you start making worship a practice in life, it changes your outlook on literally everything. Because you start seeing how big God is and how small our enemy is. You start seeing how much greater God is than your problems that you're facing. It's amazing when we make, when we learn to love to worship. But maybe you're like, I don't have a good voice. Join the club. I have the worst voice out of every single person in this room. And I belt it. In fact, those aren't in-ear monitors they have. Those are earplugs because I stand here and belt it. I'm pretty sure they have to mute this audience mic because I stand here and belt it because I have a horrible voice, but I love Jesus. And that's a good thing that God didn't say, sing on key. He said, make a joyful noise, man. And we could all do that. Learn to love to worship. It'll get us excited. The more I worship Jesus, the more I want to go to heaven. The more I worship Jesus, the more, and the more I declare his goodness. Man, I can't wait to get there. Like, I'm so sick of this old world. And some of you guys are much older than me. And I know that you're even more sick of this old world. And I'm only 35. I'm sick of it. I just want Jesus. It makes us yearn for eternity. The next thing is, I want, I want to give you is wash your robe. You want to get ready for eternity? Wash your robe. Jesus said, blessed are those who wash the robe. Some of us just need to do some laundry. <laughs> All right, the third thing is, I'm just joking. Jesus literally said, blessed are those who wash their robes. What does this mean? I think it means two things. What Jesus is talking about is, When you come to Jesus and make him Lord of your life, you are literally washing yourself in the blood of Jesus. And only God can take crimson crimson flood and make us white as snow. He makes us holy and righteous and and, and, um, 
holy, righteous, and approved by God through the blood of Jesus. We make him Lord of our lives. That's the first thing. The second thing, which kind of ties into it, is when Jesus says, wash your robe, he's referring to consecration. Now, that is a big churchy term that we don't talk about a lot in the church anymore, to consecrate yourself. Next year, we're going to, we're going to right, right out the gate, we're going to talk about consecration. But consecrate means to set apart for God's use. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Blessed are those who set themselves apart for God's use. To set, like, well, what are we setting apart? We're, we're taking our lives, we're taking ourselves, and we're removing it from the things of the world, and we're setting it over here for the Lord to use. Lord, I don't want any part anymore in this world. I'm going to separate myself to set myself apart from the things of this world. And God, I want you to use me. Consecrate yourself. You want God's blessing on your life? Don't participate in the things of the world. Because this, this verse infers so many things. It infers that God wants to use you. Consecration in and of itself is proof that God wants to use you. He wouldn't ask us to wash our robes. He wouldn't ask us to set ourselves apart if he didn't have a purpose and a plan for your life. Some of us have been running from that purpose or that plan, and you're like, God, how can you use me? Start with setting yourselves apart. God, how can you use me? But you're participating in things of the world. You're acting like the world. You're doing the things of the world. And God's saying, well, I'm not going to use you when you look like the world. Set yourself apart. Because what testimony do you have? Your testimony is invalid over here. I love the Lord, but I look like the world. People are like, well, if you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. No, you set yourself apart. You don't participate in the things of the world. You move yourself over here. You wash your robes. Now, get, get rid of the world's junk off of you. Get rid of the, whatever that looks like. I'm not going to give you a list, but when we, sit, when, we, when we take and pray and say, Lord, I want you to help to consecrate me. Help me consecrate myself, because this is something we have to do. The Lord doesn't. He makes us righteous, and he sanctifies us. But we have to consecrate ourselves. That's, a, that's taking a healthy look and saying, what in my life looks like this world? Is it my language? Am I doing the things that God says are sin? What is it? And then what we do is we take and we say, no, I'm going to... For instance, it, maybe it is your tongue. You just have a filthy mouth. I'm just going to say that. Or may, maybe, maybe it, it is... Maybe it is like you're, you're cohabitating. Maybe it is um, you get drunk, whatever that is. Once you realize this is what the world looks like, your job at that moment is to move away from that. That's what washing, you're washing yourself of that junk, of that junk. You, you stop participating and you're not going to get it right the first time. So don't beat yourself up. You're not. But you keep washing it. I can't tell you how many times I've worked on my truck and I've come, come in and my hands are covered in oil, grease, and sludge and everything else that comes off of a Ford. And, um, and I've washed my hands and I got done. And Amy's like, don't touch anything. Your hands are filthy. And I've had to wash them again. And Amy's like, dude... Your hands are filthy. I've had to wash them again. And then they have this stuff called fast orange that is really amazing. And you dump it on your hands and it has coarse grind stuff in it. And it's like sandpaper with soap. And it just gets oil off and you wash it again, even with fast orange. It might, it might take me five and six, seven times to get all the junk off. But that's part of washing. That's part of the washing. So when you, when you wash your robes, how many of you guys have ever threw anything in the washing machine, and you've had to wash it more than once to get stuff out. Yes. So you're not going to get it right the first time. Keep washing. You might go from 
I don't know, cursing like a sailor to cursing like a sailor's mother. <laughs> but it's still progress. You keep washing. You keep washing. You keep washing. You keep washing. You consecrate yourself because God wants to use you. He, and the reason why he tells us to do this is because he doesn't want us to look like the world when we get up and declare his goodness, when we get up and declare the gospel. You're like, there, there is, there's a no authority in what I say if I literally was drunk last night. There's no authority in what I say if I cheat on my wife. It removes all my ability to speak. And if we want to be used by God, we can't look like the world. So he says, wash your robes. And that's something we could do now to prepare for eternity. Get in the habit of washing the robes. Get in the habit of declaring the goodness of God. Get in the habit of setting yourself apart for the work of the Lord. And man, if you're, if you're new to this, be assured it's a process. Don't beat yourself up. Just keep washing. Keep washing. The last thing I want to give you real quick. Last very practical thing. Pray for his return. The spirit prays and we pray. The spirit cries out, come Lord Jesus, come. And we cry out, come Lord Jesus, come. The desire of our heart as born again believers is to see the love of Jesus. The desire of our heart as born again believers is to see it manifested on earth physically. We walk by faith right now and not by sight, but one day our faith will be sight. And we need to declare, we need to pray and pray and pray, Jesus, come. I want to see you physically. I've never seen God physically. Some people have had visions. Some people have dreams. It's amazing. I love it. But I've never seen it. I've felt his presence in my life. And I love, like, those moments of God's presence have terrified me. And I've loved him at the same time. I remember one time I was praying in here. I rounded the corner right over there in the row. And I don't remember what I prayed. But the Lord hit me so hard. I, all I could do was lay on my face like this on the floor. And I couldn't stand up. It was like a weight hit me. And it was just holding me against the ground. And I was just terrified by the presence of God. At the same time, I loved it. I, it, was like, it, was a, it was very odd. But one day... We're not just going to get to experience it without seeing it. One day we will get to see it. And the heart cry of the church is for him to return, to set up his eternal kingdom. Not just a millennial reign, not just any of that stuff, but when he, re when he restores Eden, when we get to eat of the tree of life, when we get to drink of the, the river of life, our, our heart is to see him face to face. Did you see that? It says we get to see Jesus face to face, and that doesn't happen until the fullness of people come into salvation. In the meantime, what we do is we pray Jesus come and we preach the gospel. He says every tribe, every nation will hear the gospel, and then he'll return. So we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. That's something we can start doing now. Some of you guys might already be praying that. You guys might already be declaring that. Oh, Jesus, come. Oh, Jesus, come. Keep praying it. To prepare for eternity. Get your, what, what does that do? It focuses our mind on eternity. It gets our mind off of this world. I don't know if you guys noticed, this world is not getting better. Despite what atheists believe. It's getting worse. It's getting more sinful. Demons are not just hiding behind the cracks and in the dark. They're, they are just full-on manifesting out in public, not just like through people, but through media, through whole genres of music, through movies. It's de so demonic. And when we see that, it's real tempting because the spirit in us hates what's that. And we're like, oh, I hate that. Well, what is our response? Come, Lord Jesus, Come. Make things right. Give me boldness to declare the gospel. I have a. I I, I started doing this weird thing. This is this is a this is bonus. But here here's a way to practically apply it to your life. When I was at Walmart, know, knowing things, there's a there's a brand of water 
It's called liquid death. Right out the gate. It sounds amazing, right? Why would you even want that um, in your life? Um, but this brand is actually they hire um, witches and warlocks to come into their warehouse and curse all the water. Like, and you want, like, it's just water. It really is just purified water. But they come in, and so to me, like, sometimes you got to, with all who has eyes, let them see. But all who has ears, let them hear. you got to have a discerning heart right now. But you got to understand, when they're doing this, they're attaching stuff to this stuff. It's not just drinking water. There, there, there's things attached to it on the spiritual realm that, praise God for the blood of Jesus that protects us from a lot of stuff. But what I started doing is every time, when I know something like that is in the store, I just walk up to it and I lay my hands on it and I just rebuke every curse that's been put over it. I plead the blood of Jesus and I pray for the people that are going to drink it, that they encounter the love of God instead of the curse of the enemy. That's what I just started doing over liquid death. I don't, I mean, there's other, there's other brands that I know that do stuff like that, but I don't walk through the alcohol area. So um, I'm just telling you, that's a practical way to, to counter the world, pray for his return. Come, Lord Jesus, come. When you see things like this, pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And another practical way that we can prepare ourselves for his coming is something we're going to do today to, to wrap up. We're going to take communion together. Because I, I believe taking communion reminds us of what he did and why we're here. We're on this earth right now to declare the gospel for people to come in to the kingdom. How many of you guys want Jesus to return? <sighs> Praise God. I think even babies raise their hand. We all want that. But Jesus himself said in Matthew that he won't come until the gospel is preached to all people groups. And so when we take communion, we, we, we remember that he, he came to reconcile us to the Lord. He came to heal our bodies physically, and he, and he came to make a way to the Lord. And it reminds us also of our responsibility with this. God didn't save us to keep our mouth shut. He saved us to reconcile us to the Father so we can have eternity with him, and then he gave us a job to go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples, teaching them to obey all the commands of Christ. And that's all of our responsibilities. It's not the pulpit's responsibility. In fact, I would argue that the, it's not the pulpit's responsibility at all to declare the gospel. What? No, that can't be right. No, actually, the pulpit's responsibility is to prepare the saints for the good work of the gospel. If people, the only place people get saved are in these doors, man, they're going to go to hell very quickly. But when we're all equipped with the gospel and walking in the boldness of the Holy Spirit and we go out into the world, that's why he says, go out. The people are changed. They're, they're changed because they see that your robes are washed. They see that you're different. You don't act like the world. You're different. There's something different. Like, you love me even though everyone else hates me. You, you, you have, you have, you're different. And then it draws them because they see the gospel at work in you. And then you get to share the gospel with them. And then they become believers. Do I want people to get saved in this building? Absolutely. I pray for people children to get saved behind that wall. I pray for people to get saved right here, down here. I want that to happen, but I also want it to happen when you're talking to people at Walmart, when you invite people into your home. In fact, I would rather it happen there way more than it happens here because that means I'm doing my job, preparing the saints for the good work of the gospel. And I, I like to take communion to recenter my mind. This is why I'm here. I'm going to glorify God and preach the gospel. So let's stand and let's grab some communion. We're going to pray and we're going to thank Jesus for who he is, what he's done. And we're going to pray that God uses us going into the new year.
Let, let 2024 be the year that you, you minister the gospel more than any other year of your life. learn to love to worship. I believe taking communion is part of our worship. It's an outward expression. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance. And may we always remember. We want to keep the cross and the resurrection on our mind. Because Christ isn't a defeated king. He's the king of kings. He conquered death so we don't have to face death. He he went to the beating post so our bodies can be healed. That's not an expression. That's not there to just make us feel good. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a scripture be, that just goes good because it was written in King James and kind of rhymes. So God threw it in there. No, he, he really did take stripes upon his back for our healing. Some of us need healing in our body today. Some of us have been fighting some, some oppression. Some of us have been fighting some um, affliction of the enemy that has manifested physically in your body. It might not even be a disease, but you're like, man, I just haven't felt good. And I can't figure out why. Man, I, <laughs> there was a season where um, there, there was a person literally at the headquarters of, of the Assemblies of God, and she was getting really sick regularly. And uh, and she came down with a very bad disease. And the people around her were praying. And someone woke up in the middle of the night. And they, they all saw her office. She had this, she had this um, mask. It was a souvenir from Africa. It was just like a mask. But it was just a souvenir. And she had it in her office. And she thought it was cool, you know. And um, it was given to her by someone that went to Africa, like on a mission trip. They bought it for her and everything. Well, this person woke up in the middle of the night and, and said, hey, I uh, came into the work the next day. This is the AJ headquarters and said, hey, you need to get rid of that. And um, she did. And like that, all this sickness left her. Because there are things attached to it. And some of it, like, not all, of, not all the sickness that we face is a physical sickness. Sometimes it could be affliction. There was a time that Jesus went to church and this woman had a bent over back and she couldn't stand up straight, but she was faithful to church. She went to synagogue all the time. And, and it didn't say that the Lord healed her. It said that Jesus rebuked the demons and delivered her, and she was able to stand up straight. So we have to have discernment to know how to pray. But regardless whether it's spiritual or physical, Jesus' stripes take care of it. He's greater. So let's just thank the Lord. Father, I just thank you so much for your body that went to a beating post that was beat beyond recognition and then you were crucified to a cross that was my cross to bear. Lord, I thank you that by your stripes we are healed. And Father, I pray right now for all those who are facing affliction in their physical body whether it just be a result of life or whether it be the result of an attack spiritually. We just rebuke it right now and we stand on your word that says, by your stripes we are healed in the name of Jesus. And we just thank you, Lord, that your word is true. And we just thank you, Lord, that you are coming back soon and that you're going to come and get a healthy, beautiful bride. Let's take bread.
Then we have this. What it represents is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is more than enough. Jesus didn't have to do anything for us. What says was mind-blowing about this. He chose to, to shed his blood. And some of us need to take and wash our robes for a moment. And just say, Lord, forgive me. I've been looking like the world a lot. Forgive me. And that's what the blood does. Jesus takes a crimson flow, blood, pours it on us and makes us white as snow. He makes us pure and blameless, righteous and holy. And not only does it do that, but when we're, when we're born again in Christ, his blood sets us free. It sets us free from sin. It sets us free from death. And it sets us free from hell. We don't have to fear any of those. Though this body might die, eternal life is ours. We're set free because of the blood. Some of us, some of us are still struggling. It's kind of like the children of Israel where they were set free, but they were still bound. And God doesn't want that for you. He wants you your mind to be set free from your old life. He wants your, your, your way of life to be set free from the, the attacks of the enemy and the mindsets of the enemy and the condemnation of the enemy. He wants you to be free. The Bible says God set us free to live free. It is for freedom, he set us free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Whom the Son sets free is free. And that's what the blood does. It sets us free. We couldn't set ourselves free, but the blood of Jesus set us free. So let's just take a moment and let's just thank the Lord for his shed blood that washes us and sets us free. Father, I just praise your name. Jesus, I thank you so much for your blood that has set me free from the power of hell, death, and the grave, that has set me free from the power of sin, that has set me free from the condemnation of the enemy. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you wash me. Wash me, God. Lord, wash me with your blood. I pray for those who are struggling right now that have not looked like you. Lord, that you just wash them. Lord, as we remember that you, that your blood is enough to set us free from all the traps of the enemy, from all the, 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 the reality of our flesh. Lord, you set us free. Lord, and then you made us new. You, 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 you gave us second birth. And Lord, I just thank you for that. It's your blood that makes it possible. We praise you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. You are almighty God. We thank you for your shed blood and your resurrection that, that guarantees a second life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And let's just take the cup. Now, I think the only proper response to communion is not a funeral. Sometimes we treat communion like a funeral. The only proper response to communion is worship. So let's just give God some praise. Let's shout out to God with a voice of triumph that he overcame, that he's the conquering king. king. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. You're the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Man, we just took a look at the back of the book and guess what? We know how the story ends. We 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 win because Jesus won. He's so good. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We worship you. We thank you that 2,000 years ago you stepped into humanity and you died on the cross for us and you rose to life for us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are coming back soon to come and get your bride. And I just pray right now over your church that, that we learn to love to worship. Lord Jesus, that we constantly have in our mind to consecrate ourselves for, to do your work, Lord, I pray. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that our heart's cry is come, Lord Jesus, come. Use us so you can come. Lord, embolden us to declare your word so you can come. Lord, we worship you, we worship you, we worship you. Now, Lord, I pray for your church. Lord, through the, through the rest of the year and the beginning of the next, 
I pray, Holy Father, that you bless them and keep them, that you make your face shine on them and be gracious to them. I pray, Father, that you turn your countenance towards them and may they have peace in the powerful, almighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen, amen, and amen. Let's give it up for Jesus again. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Merry Christmas. Remember Jesus tomorrow well as you celebrate it with your family. Thank you guys for being here, and I'll see you next year.